Here we go, more time. Everybody's feeling fine. Here we go. Karen, I've been here for like three hours. We did do a Patreon video, but besides that, we've just been singing the Hamilton. Yeah. And I highly recommend it. It's good. I mean, great. Okay. Look, let's show. It says Beach Witch Bars. Yeah, it's amazing. Lizzie Havoc. And it's www.etsy.com slash shop slash Beach Witch Bars. But we can put the link in the Mm -hmm. show notes of this episode. Handcrafted soaps featuring herbs, crystals, and essential oils to cleanse the mind, body, and soul. Made with moonlight and magic in Winthrop by the sea. My kind of people. Oh, my God. And look at some of these soaps. I'm just, thank you so much. I yes. love this. This is the nicest Thanks thing to get us. mail with the nicest note. You guys, everything that you all send us is, it's always so thoughtful. Yes. You can just tell you all really put so much thought into all of it. And it's incredible. We're constantly like, people are sending us stuff. It's I a love little it. sticker off of the soap. It says, pick your poison. So thank you all for sending yes. these. You guys, they'd be great Christmas gifts, stocking, stocking stuffers, stuffers, or if you something for your girlfriends, yourself. your boss, people you work with, Boyfriends. teacher gifts, like all these things. Try to think about all the people that you might need stuff for. It's be great. Do it. A great gift. I love them do so it. much. Yeah. Run so thank it. you, Lizzie, for sending us yes, those. Yes, thank you so You're much. You're so incredibly talented. I think people who make soaps are just oh the coolest. Gosh, yeah. Well, and I have like an obsession with like skincare and like body care and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love it so much. And the smells of it remind me, if you all are like lush lovers, it reminds me a lot yeah. of lush. They, and they're just so pretty. Everything about it's cute. The and it's good for you too. And just it's made by one of our trash listeners. witches. Yeah, it's trash witch. Oh, hey, this is the Witches Magic Murder and Mystery Podcast. Hey guys, I'm Kara. I'm Megan. And we are doing... Uh, this Megan. is our 100th episode. What are we doing with ourselves? I don't what know. I'm so excited. I can't believe we did 100 episodes and we did like 99 of them in October. 999 of them. Yep. How is our 100th episode when we easily did 7,000 in October? Nine million seven hundred forty-three thousand later. I loved every second of it. It was fun. Here we are with our hundredth episode, 100. and it's Thanksgiving, which oh is perfect because I'm so thankful for, for you. you. <laughs> oh my god, um, I'm thankful for you. Yes, thankful for this podcast. Thankful for all of you all. Like it's just insane you know. how much we've grown. Yeah, I mean we it's just, really incredible. This is so fun for us. Yeah, so we are. Really happy that you all are here, that you've helped us get to 100 episodes, that you've made it something that like we just enjoy doing Yeah, so and much. you continue to encourage us to continue this. Yeah, so many nice journey. messages from you guys. Yeah. It's incredible. We love we you. We just love you all Thank so much. You. So we're doing a double episode today. Oh my gosh. Do so, you want to go first or do I want to I don't have any clue. What kind yeah. of, do you have a murder? I have a mystery. murder. Mine's a mystery. Okay. Let's do yours first. Okay. Maybe, I don't know, a murder seems like more of a downer, but I'm not yeah. sure. Mystery is still kind of a downer. It really won't. <laughs> it's still a sad mystery. Oh, no. But here we go. Okay. It's Omaima, pronounced Omaima Nelson. That's a name? Mm-hmm. I like it. Omaima. Well, yeah. Omaima. Oh, oh, hell. Oh, okay. I mean, it got to put on that party dress. She was born and raised in Egypt. She immigrated to the U.S. Uh, in 1986. She was 23 when she met her husband, Bill Nelson. He was a 56-year-old pilot. They met around October of 1991. Okay. So they got married, like, super quick. Just, like... It was, like, a love at first sight yeah, immediate thing? Yeah. Or, like, well, a she like needed a to lust. get married to yeah, stay like there? Yeah, like a, lu- well, a lust. Well, we didn't at even first address sight. that in these articles, but it was, like, a lust type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. She was just, like, we honeymooned with his family in the Southwest before we returned to our apartment in Costa Mesa. Like I said, they met in 91. He was playing um, pool at a local bar. She said that once they got married, he kind of started to show his violent side. So he started getting just rough with her. 
She claims he tried to strangle her. She said he hit her with a lamp. So she just was like, I can't do this. Right before Thanksgiving of 91, they took a trip to several states. um, And on their way back to California, she said that her husband threw her cat out of the window of the car. And then she said that he handcuffed her um, to a chair and sexually abused her. Oh. Yeah. So she uh, stabbed him with scissors and killed him. She said, if I didn't defend my life, I would have been dead. I'm sorry it happened, but I'm glad I lived. She said, I'm, I'm also sorry I dismembered him. The marriage was only, it only lasted three weeks until he was dead. Wait, that all happened in three weeks? Yep. And guess what day this happened on? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day. Like I said, she claimed that he had sexually assaulted her. She killed him. She beat him with a clothes iron. And after she did that, she cooked his head and boiled his hands. to. Re- she thought it would remove his fingerprints. And then... She mixed up parts of his body with leftover Thanksgiving turkey and put that in a trash bag. And then she was like, you know what? If this didn't get revenge, I'm going to castrate him. So she did that too. And then, (laughs) and then, yeah. It took her three weeks to go from like, I do. I do to boiling his body. Chopping body parts. Chicken beans like Lorraine Bobbitt. It just seems like she shouldn't have married him. Yeah. I mean, Lorraine Bobbitt, I feel like, had a more justifiable right. story here. And it's like, if she's a victim, I understand reaching a point of right. like breaking. Breaking point. So I'm like, so was the abuse going on before? But even then, if you killed him to save yourself, okay. But then it really seemed like you're enjoying the... Uh, oh, she it, she gets into it. It gets worse. Yeah, oh, yeah, it does. She skinned the torso... Cooked the head and fried the hands in oil. She was arrested after she stuffed some of his body parts into garbage bags and offered friends $75,000 to help her dispose of it. What do you do if you get that phone call from your friend? Nah, girl, no thanks. Um, Not only have I killed him, also... I need you to help me. Well, I there's cut ch- him up yeah. and cooked parts. Parts of it, uh-huh. The prosecutors tried to say that she killed him and, like, was trying to steal from him. She had done this to several other middle-aged men that she seduced in the past, but she didn't end up killing them. She said that she had churned his parts through garbage disposal that the neighbors claimed ran nonstop the hours of the murder. On Thanksgiving. (laughs) On Thanksgiving. Um, they, authorities found his body parts, some of his body parts stuffed in garbage bags. Like I said, mixed with Thanksgiving leftovers. Hands were fried, heads boiled, stuffed in a freezer. And then she was trying to, like, fight for a release. She's like, no, I'm good. I got this. She claims she was acting in self-defense because she was sexually assaulted. Uh, Prosecutors claimed that she was just trying to rob him. Maybe it didn't happen. Another shady part is, on top of asking her friends, she asked some ex-boyfriends to help her remove his teeth so then they couldn't identify him that way. Did you know that, like, if you murder someone and you remove the teeth, they can still identify the face because your sinus cavities are also like fingerprints? I did not know that. Yeah. She was arrested the day after the bloody Thanksgiving weekend while driving his red Corvette. She had been going from one ex-boyfriend's house to another, trying to ask each one of them to help dispose of the bags. So she was just trying to place them all around town. 
I can't figure out, like, did she kill him and then just lose it? Like, just, oh, she just went it, crazy. Just, you just wait until the two more paragraphs. <laughs> when the coroner weighed... I'm really glad we're doing yours first. Yes. It's when the coroner choice. weighed the body parts, he said there was at least 80 pounds of bill missing. Then she told a psychiatrist that she was meeting with that his ribs, she decided to barbecue. She said, quote, I did his ribs just like in a restaurant. He said she sat in the kitchen table with Bill's cooked remains and said out loud, It's so sweet. It's so delicious. I like mine tender. Told the doctor this. Yep. What in the world mental illness are we dealing with? So that uh, the psychiatrist testified during trial that Omima was psychotic and suffered from PTSD. He said that at an early age, she had a forced female circumcision, which is cutting off the clitoris and sometimes the labia, and that caused her much grow- growing pains. Um, and when she moved to the U.S., she was abused by several men, so she just snapped. She said she admits to going through a series of dysfunctional relationships with other men before she met Bill, so things were just, like, crappy leading up to him. But jurors decided to not find her guilty of first-degree murder. They said there was no evidence of premeditation, but they did convict her of second-degree murder. They found her guilty of assaulting former boyfriends with guns as well. I mean, I imagine, God, the forced female... um, Circumcision. Yeah, I kept thinking castration. Yeah, yeah. It's just... Horrible. And it would have to mess you up in terms of your feelings about, like, those parts of your body yeah. and sex and anything yeah. related to someone coming near you. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I feel sorry for her and I'm also terrified. Exactly. Her. Yeah. She was also facing other felony charges unrelated to this case, false imprisonment, attempted robbery, all sorts of stuff. Just like things that. she had done to other people and she yeah. robbing them. Okay. Yeah. Um, the jury said, despite feeling really sorry for her there were eight women four men on this jury they didn't really believe a lot of her claims about the relationship because they were just like you all were newly what like i just well that's my whole thing but i also think with the state she was in mm-hmm. because of what she got yeah. through and if she it was, was having his issues abuse with over years, other but it was... men leading up to finding him and he, they were only together for three weeks this and was just a struggle that broke right. the camel's back they said they deliberated for six days before giving her the second degree murder stuff. I'm surprised it took them six days. Yeah. But maybe they were really well, considering what she'd been through. They said they were extremely disturbed by the evidence presented to them. It included tales of bondage, sex games, decapitation, castration, and even allegations of cannibalism. Like she, her eating is real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this person was speaking on behalf of. 11 other jurors. He said, all I want to do right now is go home and go to bed. This is the person who he went through. He was, on he the was jury. just like, yeah. yeah. He said, you had to see the pictures of the victim. The pictures were bad enough. Like, he just is scarred for life now, too. You uh, would be. It's I ju- might be also. Yeah. Like, it's just insane. She was eligible for parole in 2006, but it was denied. Commissioners found her unpredictable and a series of... A serious threat to public safety. So she then again was eligible in 2011, but was denied parole board again. Um, They said that she's not taking this seriously. 
she has not been a productive citizen. We cannot free her. She'll be able to seek parole again in 2026. Her reasoning for doing all of this to his body was that in Egyptian myth, they claimed that if they wouldn't be able to meet them in the afterlife if this Oh, so if she them. Yeah. chopped him up. Yeah. She said that she's now ready to get out and live the good life that she was meant to live. <sighs> it's awful because it's like you want to understand that like she got she had horrible things yeah. said to her so she's really screwed up but it's almost like those things are true yeah it's awful but that still makes her this yeah dangerous person she, yeah like it sucks yeah because she's a product of kind of what her this environment is, yeah. made her but <sighs> but she is still like yeah so at one of her parole hearings a psychiatrist testified about all of this stuff and he said, you know, about the ribs and stuff. So then they were like, okay, we need to like question this again. Like what, what happened? So it said she grimaced and denied she ate him. She said, I swear to God, I did not eat any part of him. I'm not a monster. So then a commissioner asked, what was your purpose in cooking him then? Mm -hmm. She refused to answer. But she needed his rib. Like it said, she admitted at one point to cooking his ribs and like taste, like, mm. That's why I wonder, like, she must have just completely lost her mind. Yes. Yeah. She said... I don't mean this to sound like there's an excuse when I say that she's a product of what happened to her. I mean... Yeah. There's plenty of people... Right. I mean, as horrible as that is, too. Like, in certain parts of the world, female... Why can't I think of the word? Not castration, but... Oh, circumcision. Yes. Female circumcision is done routinely, and it's awful, but they don't all go on to do this. Right. So... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. She was quoted saying, she looked for love in all the wrong places. She said, but now I value my integrity and my journey. I have a strong desire to help others. She told the board that she was grateful for the grace of God and her family. If released, she would return to live with her mother in Egypt. Then she visited with the man she married while she was in jail. He was 70. Uh, she said, we had three-day conjugal visits. There were knives in the kitchen he never felt threatened or endangered any anyway. I loved him so much. How are there knives in the kitchen? Where is she? In jail. Having conjugal visits with the, her 70-year-old husband. And there's kitchen? Kitchen there? knives. In the jail? Mm-hmm, where they're having sex in the kitchen. Doesn't because that seem... Who's letting this happen? <laughs> Nelson's daughter, 35-year-old daughter, decided to speak at one of her hearings. That it's... was the guy she killed? Yeah. His daughter? Okay. Yeah. She said it took her several months or several moments to just compose herself to read what she had written. She said that it sucked not having a father at her wedding. It sucked not being able to introduce into her eight-week-old daughter. She said that she was invited to that Thanksgiving dinner. And it's like your Australian lady. Yeah. Invited them. Yes. And she was like, I refused because I was so angry with him for marrying this chick he didn't even know. And now she's like, this is what I would have shown up to. She said she was there because she wanted to return some human dignity to the man that was her father. So she said, I don't know the adequate punishment for a murderer who doesn't even leave a family a body to mourn over, but I do know you don't let her out. And then it says the district attorney's office said Nelson has failed to complete any educational or vocational classes while incarcerated. So she's not abiding by any of the prison rules. She's just not. Yeah. So it really does seem like she doesn't get it. Yeah. Amima's just in jail and may not ever get out. 
which I understand like all of this stuff happening right now, everybody's like, okay, well now everybody that's doing this in self-defense, like we want to speak to those women. Like, yeah, she seems, she seems like a danger to other people as well. And she doesn't seem to have a good grasp on reality. Right. And I mean, the thing is she may truly believe like, I will never do this again. I'm going to go home and live with my mom and everything will be fine. But then if the wrong person. Yeah. Crosses her again. Yeah. That happens. What if she. I was going to say provokes her, but who even knows if they would have to provoke her. What if she just has a PTSD flare up and yeah. it just... Or some people are just wired wrong. Yeah. And it's awful. Yeah. But it's also like, they're dangerous, you know? Yeah. Can't have God, that in society. Awful I know. Ooh. Thanksgiving ribs. So bad. Okay. So we'll do a quick commercial break. Then we're going to come back. Is it a Patreon commercial? <laughs> or is it a anger ad? <laughs> I, I bet it's going to be an anger ad. You think? I bet so. <laughs> Kara. Yes, Megan. I have been seeing all over TikTok these hair straighteners. Ever since I got my hair cut, I still feel like I'm learning how to do my hair all over mm-hmm. again. Let me tell you, I have found one that works really well. It's um, from Tymo, uh-huh. T-Y-M-O. Yes. And it is the company for getting the best type of straightener for everything your hair could possibly need. It's all over social media right now with products from $59.99 to top of the line straighteners. Each of their products are built to last and have so many options for whatever your hair needs are. So Karen and I received a couple of the products. Oh we gosh. got a so straightener exciting. and a blow dryer. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the straightener because that's the one that I have used. It has a cordless design, which makes it so right. handy. You traveled with it. Yes. So it's great for getting a good hair reset on the go because it's so portable and convenient. It's called the Porta. It has this 3D comb design, which is enhanced by cutting edge MCH anionic technology. So you brush it through your hair, it straightens as it goes, and it pushes against this ceramic plate that gives a frictionless glide that promises to curb frizz by 50%. And I've totally seen that because my hair gets frizzy and this just really smooths it out. I really loved it. Okay. So I got the air hype. I'm obsessed with it. I have just like naturally curly wavy hair so it was a huge game changer for me it dries your hair in half the normal time and it keeps your hair safe and shiny which i noticed immediately mm-hmm. i didn't even need to straighten it afterwards and usually i do because usually i have all those wild like curls left over yeah. the wind power on this thing is intense it's wild like i turned it up i was like let's play with these buttons okay so it has three magnetic styling attachments they're all amazing you know how some blow dryers you get are like if you go to a hotel and there's a diffuser and you're like oh my gosh this is like tearing my hair to pieces and it's gonna be so tangled not with this one nice and it's magnetic so it's great so right now you guys our listeners can get 30 percent off their first order at timobeauty.com t-y-m-o beauty.com Using the code WMM30. So that's just two M's. You guys know our codes usually have three. So just keep that in mind. So with so many great products to choose from, now's the time to upgrade your styling and curling kit. So go to TYMOBeauty.com and use the code WMM30 for 30% off your first purchase. Goodbye. Goodbye. Summer is the season of hot temperatures, outdoor adventures, and refreshing water activities. Summer is also the season of rough on your feet causing dry, cracked heels and toes. Introducing Babyfoot, the original exfoliation foot peel that contains 16 natural extracts formulated to remove dead skin cells in three easy steps. Apply the booties, relax for an hour, then wash your feet. In 14 days, you've got baby smooth skin and your feet have never been softer. Letting dead skin cells build up over time is hazardous to your foot health. Our professional-grade DIY products, like our original exfoliation foot peel, our men's foot peel, or our moisturizing mask, are some of the best foot care products on the market. Created with your foot health in mind. Pamper yourself with a spa day from the comfort and convenience of your own home with Babyfoot. 
If you want a chemical-free, easy-to-use exfoliating process from the company that created the original foot peel, it's time to treat yourself to Babyfoot. Go to babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24 and get 20% off your first order with Babyfoot. That's babyfoot.com and use the code SUMMERFEET24. I have a story. Mm-hmm. Um, in case you didn't notice, we have a theme. It's Thanksgiving-related, correct? Right. That's what we try to do for our holidays, except for things, or Halloween, because we got wild that month. <laughs> we got wild. Wild. So for this episode, I'm doing, as you all know how I am um, particularly fascinated by the missing people. Yes. This story, when I started looking into it, it went in this direction that I had no idea it was that was coming. All the turns and twists. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So we're going to talk about Karen Marie Mitchell. Okay. Karen Marie Mitchell was 16 years old, five days away from turning 17 on November 25th, 1997. Okay. She was a good student, and she was a semester away from graduating high school with plans to attend Humboldt State University. Humboldt. And major, she talked about majoring in law or political science, but she was just kind of, you know, we're not sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the time, Karen lived with her aunt and uncle in Eureka, California. Eureka. Mm -hmm. So Karen's mother had given birth to her really young. Um, Her mom was 16. And then I guess she was married. She got divorced shortly afterward. Okay. So for a few years, she was a really young single mother raising Mm -hmm. Karen and her brother. Karen was the oldest. She was raising them on her own, and she moved all around Orange County because that's, like, where her extended family was. Right. So Karen was kind of a shy kid, but that changed as she got older. She was feisty and independent, so we would have loved her. Right. She was super into the environment. Oh, and Megan. We all know how Megan feels about recycling. She also said she was, they, they called her evangelical about composting. Oh. I know. My friend Amy would be time. like, me yeah. too. She owned a worm farm. Oh. <gasps> What? Remember the whole worm farm thing? Yeah, from last week. Um, oh, we finally. There you go. Worm farmers. Well, I think that was maybe just in the Patreon episode, but there was a whole worm farm. Worm farmer. So she owned a worm farm. She didn't care about clothes or makeup. For compost. She always wore jeans, a t-shirt, and a hemp necklace. So I'm like right back in 1997. Oh my! Gosh. This is when I, I figured could, out. Like, feel that yeah. against my skin. I was the same age as her in 1997. I graduated in 98. So this is, we were the same age. My birthday's Halloween. Hers was a month later. Wow. I know. It's awful to think about. So she liked the Smashing Pumpkins and R.E.M. All I say is that my life is reading That's Blonde Melon. That's what I think of. Yeah. That all seems like typical 90s teenager stuff to me. But apparently in the area where she lived, she sort of just didn't fit in. Oh. And Karen's aunt eventually was like, hey, why don't she come live? Why doesn't she come live with us in Eureka? Because I guess Eureka was kind of more of a hippie yeah. vibe type place. Yeah. And it was more rural. Right. So they just thought she'd be happier there. And she was. Yeah. Okay. So it's 1997. Karen is out of school for the Thanksgiving holiday. Okay. And she rode to work. She rode into town um, with her aunt. Okay. So her aunt worked at a shoe store at the mall. And Karen worked at a daycare. So Karen like rode to town with her mm-hmm. aunt and went to work with her for a few minutes before it was time for her to go to work. Okay. So she left around 2.45 p.m. to walk to her job. Annie, her aunt, was like, do you want to ride? She was like, no, it's just a mile away. Oh. It sounded like this was something that was kind of a routine. Like, yeah. She'd just walk because it's a short walk. Right. Karen was seen walking toward West Sonoma Street shortly after she had left the mall. No one has seen or heard from her since. Um, Another person that disappeared off the street. <laughs> there was money in a savings account that she never used. 
and a plane ticket home for Christmas that was also never used. Um. Annie, the aunt, she had no idea Karen was missing until she went to pick her niece up from work three hours later. And they were like, Karen didn't show up today. Karen had never missed a day of work oh, gosh. until that day. Oh, no. So it's even just sadder. So yeah. all the usual things happen. Um, the police and family organized searches. A tip hotline was set up. The Karen Mitchell Information Center was set up at the Eureka Inn. Oh, wow. The high school held a candlelight vigil. It all went nowhere. Oh, my gosh. So one witness, a retired police officer, said that he thought he saw Karen get into a light blue four-door 1976 to 1978 sedan. Oh, my gosh. Maybe a Ford Granada, a Mercury <laughs> Monarch, or a Nissan. Man. It had California license plate and Eureka, like, imprinted on the yeah. the rear frame around the license yeah. plate. And the witness said that the car had nearly hit him before stopping for a girl who matched Karen's description. Oh. I'm assuming because this guy's a retired police officer. Right. And he had the experience of almost being hit, so he must have gotten a good look. Yeah. But, like, the amount of detail he has in his description of mm -hmm. the driver is, like, whoa. The driver, according to the witness, was a Caucasian male, 60 to 70 years old. Oh, wow. He was balding and had light hair, light gray or sandy blonde. Oh, my gosh. His eyes were green or gray. Wow. He's in that. the car. I'm amazed by that level of detail. Yeah. But maybe he was just really good at it. He was yeah. a former cop, so maybe he was, like, retired, had been a cop for years, and he's just right. used to, like, clocking those details. Oh, yeah. And he wore glasses, which is another thing. So he's in a car with glasses on, and you could still tell he had blue or green, blue or gray eyes. Well, I'm wondering no, if they green he was green like eyes. almost hit him, like going off so the direction. So he like slowed down, like as he was like crossing next to him. I don't know. Or maybe you know how like when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're like, I mean, you, get, you stare him down. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they were just, he got a good look at him, I yeah. guess. Um, he also said he had a large nose that looked like it had been broken at some point oh. in his life. Wait till you see the sketch. I, I saved it specifically because I was like, the police sketch of him looks ridiculous. His nose is comically huge. It oh. looks like a cartoon. It's weird. Oh, my gosh. He had a small build and wore a light blue long sleeve button down shirt. How did he know it was long? Well, I guess if his arm was up on the yeah, I guess. steering wheel. A sketch was made of this driver and his vehicle, which you can see if you look Karen up on the Charlie Project website. Okay. So everything that I've just told you, that's like all of the information we have. Oh. It's possible there's more information that police are keeping quiet. Okay. But as far as like what's publicly available, that's it. Okay. And we don't even know if that part is true because we don't know 100% if that was Karen getting into the car. Right. But everybody's pretty much operating on that the idea it. that that was her. Yeah. So I've told you what we know. Uh -huh. Now we're going to speculate. Let's do it. Let's do my stomach growling. I, I literally thought that was thunder. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So there's at least one famous, at least in true crime world famous, name that has been repeatedly attached to the disappearance of Karen Marie Mitchell. Okay. It's a millionaire. He's a known murderer, a suspected serial killer. In fact, he was actually just convicted of murder in September of this year, <gasps> 2021. And in 1997, he lived in Trinidad, a small town about 20 miles from Eureka, California. And so it was all in the same county. Oh, my gosh. Robert Durst. <gasps> I can hear his voice. And oh, no. So have you seen the jinx? Yes. Okay. I have not seen the jinx. I know what it's about because True Crime Obsessed covered yes. it. Yes. 
Um, I don't watch anything anymore. I just I just let True Crime Obsessed tell us yeah. what we need to hear. So whether or not you've seen it, you might just be familiar with his name because, like I said, oh God, um, he was just in the recent trial news where he was finally convicted. Yes, but he's been suspected for, for years and years and years. Yeah, and but finally went to trial and finally was found guilty. So here's a quick recap in case you don't know who he is. Robert Allen Durst is the son of New York City real estate magnate Seymour Durst. So he's super, super wealthy. Mm-hmm. And in 1982, his wife, Kathleen McCormack Durst, disappeared. Yep. In 2000, his longtime friend Susan Berman was murdered. Mm-hmm. That's the murder he was eventually convicted of. Yep. In 2001, his neighbor, Morris Black, was murdered. Mm-hmm. He also went to trial for Morris Black's murder. He was acquitted because he admitted to murdering him, but he said it was self-defense. So he was acquitted of the murder charge, but then he was found guilty of tampering with evidence because he dismembered Black and dumped his body parts in the Galveston Bay. Oh, my God. So it's Susan Berman's murder that led to his conviction this past September. And it's believed that he murdered Susan in order to keep her from telling anyone that she had helped him dispose of his wife's body years ago. And so just last month in October, he was sentenced to life in prison. His voice. His voice is real, yeah, distinctive. There's somebody mentions the voice here in a little bit, so we'll show we'll talk about that. Yes. Like just go look him up. Like and there's probably a YouTube video. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say or watch the voice. Yeah. His you remember the voice. The voice is a lot normal. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So for the record, Kathleen McCormack Durst's disappearance remains unsolved, and Robert Durst has not been charged with anything in that case. You would think that he would just, if he's already been charged of this stuff, he would just be like, yeah, sure. This is where she is. You would think. This is what's happening. But he also tried, because I guess he's not in very good health. I mean, I think he's in his late 70s or early 80s. Yeah. If you look at pictures of him, he looks about 130 years old. Mm -hmm. Like, he looks awful. And they tried to even just, like, have him not go to jail because of his health. I mean, but it's like, dude, you, you did. Yeah. You've killed two people. Yeah. Probably. Probably a lot more, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. Okay, so as for Robert Durst's connection to the disappearance of Karen Marie Mitchell, the chief of police in Eureka, Andrew Mills, said it's a potential possibility, but he doesn't want to call it a lead. Okay. He said, in my opinion, we need to be very careful not to overreach because it creates false expectations. Oh. So let's talk about a few of the reasons that, that Durst's name comes up in this case. Okay. So remember how Karen's Aunt Annie worked at the shoe store at the mall? Yes. In March of 1998, four months after Karen disappeared, Durst visited that shoe store wearing women's clothing several times. I don't care that he's wearing women's clothing. No, but it's just like, was he trying to disguise himself? I don't know any more about right. it. They just said What's he wore the- women's clothing and, and visited the store. He also he also resembles the sketch of the man reported by the witness <laughs> as the driver of the blue car that picked up a girl who matched Karen's description. So I know you all can't see this, but I'm going to show Kara just so she can react and tell you all. There's the sketch. Oh, my gosh. Look at his nose. Like, I get that he has a big nose. Right. But. Ridiculous. And this is Robert Durst back then. The hairline. The hairline. Is exactly the same. The cheeks. The hair the color's the same. sits. The size of the nostrils. See how the nostrils are on even on the sketch? Uh-huh. They're the same way here. Yep. Maybe that's why he, what he meant about a big nose. Because see how it kind of, like, goes to the side a little bit? And, like, his chin, his jawline and his chin. He does really resemble the sketch. Yeah. Um, allegedly. Allegedly. He doesn't allegedly resemble the sketch. He totally resembles the sketch. Right. But he allegedly had something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not saying he did it. I'm just saying he, he could have. Could have done it. 
There are also rumors that Durst had frequently visited a homeless shelter in Eureka where Karen had once volunteered, so he may have known her, and she may have known him. A friend of hers from high school, her name was Megan Renee, said that she believes Karen had to have known who she got into a car with right. and thought it was a safe decision. So mm-hmm. that means it's important to think about how there yeah, could have been have a connection been like, earlier. Ride to work. Yeah, like remember me from the soup kitchen type thing? Yeah, you don't have to walk. I'll just drive you. Yeah. There's another woman who lived in Eureka at the time that Karen disappeared. Her name is Kareen huh? Van Swearingen, which sounds 100% made up. Truth or myth? (laughs) (laughs) It's the Patreon video this month. (laughs) She had also experienced a man in a blue car try to pick her up, and it was, quote, the scariest experience I ever had in Eureka. Oh, no. Which I think is interesting that she said, in Eureka. Like, what what other scary experiences have you Yeah, where have you been to have experiences like this? Um, She described a man who drove the car as small with a raspy voice, (gasps) which, go listen to the man's voice. It's memorable. It's weird. Oh, God. And he had weird teeth, is what she said. Oh, man. She said the driver had the same voice and stature as Robert Durst. To be fair, when this happened to her, she didn't report it because she said she didn't know the details of the Karen Mitchell case. She lived in the area at the time, but she just didn't know all this stuff. So she hadn't thought to report it. brushed it off. Right. I don't doubt that it happened to her. Right. But I do question, years later, Uh The power of suggestion in her memory about the similarities, right? You know, between the driver and Robert Durst. Yeah. There's an author, Matt Birkbeck, who wrote a book about Durst called A Deadly Secret. (gasps) According to his book, credit card records put Durst in Eureka (gasps) on the day Karen vanished. What? We do know, like I said, he was living in the area at the time um, in Trinidad. Right. Which is like 20 miles away from Eureka. He had a home in the area, and a friend was quoted in 2001 as saying that Durst was there 50 to 60% of the time. So I think he had multiple homes, right. but he's, he stayed a lot at that one. Oh, no. And he also had an office in Eureka. <gasps> and then here's this direct quote from one of the articles I read. All the articles are going to be in the show notes. This is such a weird random note, is why I put it in here. Yeah. He once filled out a lease application with the lie that he had been a chief botanist for a Eureka lumber company for 15 years. Why? Why, why would he even need to do that if he had so much I, money I and had so much like, all the wow. same thoughts? All the same thoughts. Also, one thing that seems important to consider is that in 2001, um, like when this article came out, he was on the run for murder charges after the death of Morris Black. So... She disappeared in 1997. We know he murdered Susan in 2000 and Morris uh-huh. Black in 2001. Uh-huh. So it's just kind of like this time period when everything seems kind of pretty active. Yeah. Okay. So the last thing here, if you watch the Jinx or if you follow Durst's trial, this might not be anything new to you, but I just really had never been that interested in this story. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know any of this. And the more I learned about Durst, the crazier it gets. So in addition to this possible link to Karen Mitchell's disappearance, Police reportedly examined connections between Durst and the disappearances of 18-year-old Lynn Schultz, who disappeared from Vermont in 1971, and 18-year-old Kristen Modaffery, who disappeared from San Francisco in 1997. The FBI had also looked into Durst in regard to the Long Island serial murders. Oh, my gosh. They ruled him out of that one, I think, but they looked into it because the way some of the bodies were discarded in that matched up with how Morris Black's body was discarded. And they created a task force, an informal task force, to look into cold cases in the areas where Durst had been known to live. So, like, they think there's enough there that they're like, we need to... We got to look into this. My God. They, like, reached out to 
police in those towns. And mm-hmm. they were like, take another look at your cold cases. Yeah. And then there's a pr- Texas private investigator named Bobby Baca. Mm-hmm. It's B-A-C-H-A. Um, has also traced Durst operating under stolen identities in Texas, Florida, Massachusetts, New Jersey, South Carolina, Mississippi, and Virginia. Jesus. He could be connected to so many things. Mm -hmm. I mean, he murdered, allegedly uh, murdered his wife in 1982. Mm -hmm. And then Susan in 2000. Mm -hmm. He was convicted of that one. So we can, we we don't have to say allegedly. What did he do from 1982 to 2000? Right. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Allegedly. Something. Allegedly. Captain Patrick O'Neill said, Eureka police have investigated the link between Robert Durst and Karen Mitchell throughout the years. At this time, we have not found any credible link between Mitchell's disappearance and Mr. Durst, he said. However, until Karen is located, we will not rule out any possibility. Oh. There were people who thought that Karen had simply ran away. There were rumors that she'd been spotted here or there over the years, but nothing went anywhere. But they looked into all of them. One time, Karen's mother and brother traveled to Tempe, Arizona, because they got a pretty good tip. And when they went and talked, there were people like, oh, yeah, she looks like this girl. But then they finally tracked down the girl, and it wasn't her. Um, So it was just like this, like there was a whole interview with the mom. It was just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Former Eureka police detective Dave Paris was the lead investigator for years in Karen's disappearance. And he has stated multiple times that he has convinced Karen met with foul play. So he doesn't think she was a runaway. But he also has never believed that Robert Durst was involved. Oh. He said he couldn't put him in California at the time. And so I don't know if that means... But his credit cards did. Right. But that's what the author says of that book. Oh, that's true. That's true. So I don't know. And it could be that this... What he has said about that, not mm-hmm. being able to place him at the time, happened before the credit card receipt. You know, right. it's hard to know some of the time. Oh, that's true. true. But here's another direct quote. I actually had to message Kara and read her this when I read it the first time. <laughs> but when they look into other suspects, right? In oh 1999, <laughs> it's not that it's funny, but it's It's bizarre. so weird. In 1999, a man named Wayne Adam Ford walked into the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office, which is the county that Trinidad and Eureka in. With a woman's breast in his pocket. <gasps> That's a... Huh? What? What? Why? I have so many questions that I don't... I don't want to answer. No, I don't want them answered. But what? I just I put on here, what on earth? <laughs> what? So that guy, Wayne Adam Ford, said he'd killed and dismembered four women, all <laughs> transients and sex workers in the area. So obviously, Detective Paris is like, What's going on here? You're on my suspect list now yeah. for Karen Mitchell. So he gave him a polygraph and Ford passed it. And Ford even told investigators that he was sorry that he could not be of more help with the Karen Mitchell case. Yeah. Karen's mom, like, went to prison and visited him and showed him a picture just to right. just to ask again. And he was just like, I don't know. Why. I think he said she looks like she could have been one of mine, but. <gasps> I mean, he passed the polygraph. He was probably just being. uh, Yeah. He wanted, he was being weird. He wanted her, he wanted Karen's mom to like stay in contact with him and Uh write him letters and stuff. So he could have just been saying something to like give her a little bit. Yeah. And she decided not to do that. Good for her. The Eureka Police Department has collaborated with the California Department of Justice, the Humboldt County DA's office, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, and the FBI in their efforts to solve Karen's case. The investigation has included hundreds of interviews, database searches, locations searched, and the submission of her DNA profile to a national database for comparison. 
Every year, Karen Mitchell's family honors her on November 25th and on her birthday, November 30th. Oh. I know. The issue here is that Robert Durst seems to be, like, the only suspect who's really discussed publicly, at least. I tried to Google. I was like, do we not have anybody else? I mean, that Wayne Adams Ford guy, but he doesn't seem real. Right. Um, So it's just, this is the only one who comes up. the picture. The sketch, you guys, is really something. Which, if you go to the show notes, you can see the, you'll find the link to it. Not only did that retired cop give this description, that other woman who a blue car that matched that same description described him in other ways. Her whole thing is questionable, though, because she didn't report it when it happened. Right, right. So she could have seen him on TV. And I hate to be like, I don't want to doubt her. I don't know her. Mm -hmm. But it would... It would be a problem in court, I think, mm-hmm. right? Because it could just be like, well, you could have heard Karen's story and then made yep. up this one. Like, yeah. who knows why? People right. do weird things all the time. Right. So, but yeah, we no idea what happened to her. That's all we know. And there's not even a big list of suspects, even though this case is like 1997. Yeah. God, man, I can't. Why do I keep doing math on the podcast? 20, 24 years. I did that in my head. Kara didn't help at all. <laughs> I'm going to edit out the whole part where you did it. <laughs> and you're just like 24 years. That was 24 years ago, you guys. <laughs> but in 24 years, they haven't come up with any more suspects. It's just mm. the fact that it's just like literally, it just seems like a dead end. Now, what I hope is that there's just stuff the police are holding back that they're not yeah. telling us. Yeah. So maybe they know more, but it just seems so sad. Especially where it's, like, around a holiday. I mean, I know, like, no matter what day it happened over right. the year would be awful for the family. But it just seems like, gosh, and there's this big holiday around it. And every year it's going to be a big holiday and her birthday. Right. So, that's all. Ugh. Sorry. Ugh. Yeah. But I thought that's the hard. Robert Durst connection was just, wow. I yeah. had no idea when I started reading it that that's where it was going. No. So. And that description just, mm. hmm It's. Goodness. The hairline, really. Yes. But the, like here, the police like sketch right here, itself here. is go look it up. I think if you go to the Charlie Project, it has it there, too. Like, the, yeah, his nose up. is comically it's, large. Right. And but the nostrils match. And I'm just wondering if he was just like, well, because it was the big. broken. Yeah, thing. maybe. And maybe it was swollen at the time. Maybe he got punched in the nose. Oh, that's true, too. Maybe it could have been. I don't know. It's also wild to me just how um I hate to say the word crazy, but I'm going to say it in his case. How crazy he is. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly wild. So anyway, thank you guys for being here for our 100 100, guys. Yes. It's really exciting. We did it. We love you so much. Yep. You can reach us. There's in the show notes. It'll have links to everywhere you can reach us. Literally everywhere. We have a whole lot of fun on our Facebook group. If you want to look that up, it's in the show notes. Um, we've also got a Patreon that we love. <laughs> and we're about to put a lot yeah. more into starting January. Yeah. Starting in January, we have like a whole, you know, we're going to have the same tiers, but we're going to add some stuff to it. And yep. we might add a tier. We'll talk about, you know, but at the very least, if you're already in the Patreon, don't worry that things are going to. Yeah. Like, you're still going to get yeah. what you're getting. We're just going to add to it more. Um, we really appreciate you, yes, all of you, do. in whatever way. Yeah. Whether you're in the you Patreon or you just not like you fine. just love us. Yeah, we're just so happy that you're here and that you listen, and we always love hearing from you. And so you've sent in so many great stories. You do. Yeah. We have a whole list okay. that probably could keep us busy for half of the year next year. For sure. <laughs> yeah. I constantly look at that list. Yeah. All right. We love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.